Hey everybody, this is Jordan Pelfrey from Vineyard Northwest. Today's message is from Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 41. And it's all about the boldness of the apostles and, and an encouragement to us, the, the church of today, to live a lifestyle of risk, to have faith that's spelled R-I-S-K, and to grow in our boldness and the expression of it in our everyday lives. I hope you enjoy this message. All right. Uh, my name is Jordan. It's so good to be here with you guys. If we haven't met before, I am the student revival pastor. So I lead the ministry for sixth through 12th graders. Do we have any student revival students in here right now? Yes. Wow. You guys have never been this quiet when I teach before. So maybe we should just always do it in this room and then uh, I'll be able to get through a whole message. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just so good to be up here this morning. Um, as we get started, does it, does my mic sound weird to you guys? Is there like weird stuff going on? All right. Okay. I guess it's just me. All right. Well, um, before we get started, I just want to take a moment. I feel like we haven't really done this, but like there is, there is no playbook for getting through a pandemic and our leaders have just done a phenomenal job getting us through it. So could we just like give them a round of applause and just some love and, and honor for them you know, it's just been a crazy season and they've just done, you guys have just done a phenomenal job leading us through it. And it really has just been so amazing to be on this team and, and be here with you guys. Thank you so much. All right. So we have a lot to cover today. We've been going through the book of Acts and um, it's, it, it's going to be good. We've got almost 30 verses to look at. So um, let's get to it. Uh, my message today is on the topic of boldness, and specifically we're going to look at this really cool story where the apostles uh, walk in boldness and, and, and take some crazy risks. And, and so if you're a note taker and you like message titles, my title today is, How Do You Spell Faith? How Do You Spell Faith? If you've been around our church for very long, um, or if you've been in the Vineyard Movement, yeah, you, you've probably heard of a guy named John Wimber, who's the founder of the Vineyard. And uh, he said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled risk. And he says that because many times in the Bible, you see these great acts of faith accompanied like, like it is done in great risk. Like anytime there is an act of faith, there's risk involved with it. Um, and, and even in you know, modern day, whenever there are great acts of faith, it's accompanied by some level of risk. Um, and so today I believe that the Lord is offering us a, a boldness checkup, a risk checkup, because I, I believe it is the standard practice of the Christian life to be walking in risk to be walking in boldness, to, to, that, that our lives as believers are, are marked by great risk and, and, and f um, big acts of faith done in risk. So uh, we've been going through this, uh, the book of Acts and, and learning a lot about the rise of the church. And um, this morning we're gonna be in Acts 5, 12 through 41. But before uh, we get to that, I want to go back a little bit because it's, it's actually interesting. Um, Acts 3, 4, and 5 are actually like a really continuous story that kind of happens within days or maybe just weeks of each other. Um, and it's largely focused on 
uh, things that the church is doing externally in the world um, and, and in the city of Jerusalem. But then there's also um, in, in four and early in five, there's a, a couple stories about just some things that are happening internally in the church. But today I really want to just focus on uh, the, church, the church's expression to the world uh, that we see in these, in these chapters of um, Acts 3, 4, and 5. So I want to start by just telling you the story, and then I want to go back and take a look at a couple different uh, things that I feel like the Lord is highlighting for today. So, Acts 3. Um, we, we, learned, we heard about it a few weeks ago, but um, in the very beginning of Acts 3, Peter and John, who are two of the apostles, are going to the temple, and they encounter this man who's paralyzed. And he, he's a 40-year-old man. He's, he's been paralyzed his whole life. He's never walked. And uh, every day he's brought to the temple to ask for money. And Peter and John, they look at him and they say, we don't have any money to give you, but we're going to give you something way better. And they grab him and they pull him up and say, be healed in Jesus' name. And this man who is paralyzed for his entire life gets up and starts walking immediately. And so like that, that is like a big miracle. It's like this big thing that happens. And, 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 and they all walk into the temple, into this area of the temple courtyard called Solomon's Portico. And all these people are seeing this guy who they see every day laying and begging because he can't walk. They see him walking. And so it kind of draws this big commotion. And Peter and John, they start to preach the gospel and, and, and tell the story of Jesus. And, and, um, and it's this really like awesome moment. And that's where chapter three ends. And then in the beginning of chapter four, we see that right there in the middle of their sermon, they get arrested. And, um, the, and, and, and as they're, um, they're, they get arrested, sorry, I lost my spot here. Um, right, they get arrested for preaching in the name of Jesus. Um, and, but still, even though right in the middle of their message, uh, they get taken away, it says that many believed and were added to the church. And so as it goes through four, uh, we see these two, they're held in jail. So this is like kind of the first time uh, anyone's arrested for being a Christian. Um, and they're told not to preach in the name of Jesus. So like, well, we can't deny there's a miracle, but we're just going to stop talking about Jesus wherever you're at. Don't do that anymore. Um, and so they go, they get released and they go back to the other believers and <clears throat> they tell them everything that happened and they're all like very excited and, and they're all encouraged and, and they start to pray and they ask the father that he would do more healings and more signs and wonders among the people. So they were warned, don't do that again. But they go back and they say, God, let's do that again. Um, and it says the house where they were at shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they, they all go out in boldness. Uh, then it's, then uh, it takes 20 verses or so to talk about some internal things going on in the church. Uh, but then when we pick back up at verse 12 of chapter 5, that, that's where we're going to start today. Um, this is potentially days later. Maybe a week, maybe two. But it's like, it's very close to the time that this man was just healed. Very close to the time of their first arrest. Um, and, and very close to the time when they said, Lord... We want more healings. We want more signs and wonders. And so verse 12 through 14 says this. It says, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them, 
However, the people held them in high esteem, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. So they are right back to the spot where this man was healed and where they preached the gospel and where they got arrested. Like Solomon's portico. They were just there a few days ago, a couple weeks ago, and this crazy, amazing uh, miracle happened. Um, and, but it's also the place where they were arrested um, and, and where they were warned to never teach in the name of Jesus again. And not only that, but like this is like a stone's throw from the actual physical building of the temple. Like they could actually probably hit it with a rock in this open air courtyard where they're at. And that's so significant because this, like the temple in Jerusalem is the like epicenter of Judaism, of this like at the time, like ancient system that they had been involved in and they're preaching something new, something different, something that was kind of like counter to what they, this people stood for. So this, this is like a big deal. This is a risky place to be. And they're not just there like kind of quietly having one-on-one -on -one conversations. They're making a big splash. Uh, as, as we continue to read in that story, it tells us that um, well, we saw many healings and signs and wonders are happening at the hands of the apostles. But then, like, it's such a big deal that people are joining the church, men and women are joining the church, and word spreads so fast that people from surrounding towns are coming to be healed. And they're, they're bringing their sick. And, and so much so that people are laying sick people in the street just hoping that Peter's shadow would land on them for them to be healed. Like, this, this, like big things are happening. Lots of people, lots of attention. But then when we look at verse 17, it says, but the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. So the apostles are arrested again. This time, all 12 of them are arrested. And they're, they're sitting in jail. And then in 19, it says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. Taking, and uh, taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. What a story, like an angel literally comes and lets them out of jail. That is insane. Raise your hand if you've ever been let out of jail by an angel. <laughs> but here's the thing, the angel lets them out and says, now go back and do exactly what you were just arrested for doing. That's very weird. <laughs> I don't know if you have much experience breaking out of jail, but you probably don't go back to the place where you were just arrested the day before doing the same thing you were arrested for. Like, it, like logic or world logic would seem to say you should go and lay low for a couple days, couple weeks. Maybe you should leave town. But the angel says, no, go back, continue in this risk. Like, do it, preach the gospel. And so, of course, they go back, they, they listen, and, and they're preaching the gospel. And, um, uh, you know, of course, the, the priests come to find them in the jail, and they find that the, the jail's empty, uh, and they have no idea what's going on, and they hear that they're back in the temple. So they have them rearrested, and they come back, um, and the high priest, he gives them quite a tongue lashing, and he asks them, why would you continue to speak the name of Jesus after you were strictly ordered not to? 
And in great boldness, uh, Peter and the apostles look at him and they say this in verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This, it, it, it just gets crazier how risky these guys are, how bold they are, because many of the people that they're standing before were probably actually involved in killing Jesus. Like this isn't just a general, you people with sin nature, your sin crucified Jesus, or, or you people who are Jewish and, and priests of this faith, you crucified, like, the guy, the, the, the high priest that Jesus went before, before his crucifixion is in the room. And Peter looks at him and says, you killed Jesus. He, like, he is just like telling it how it is. And of course, when you're accused of murder, uh, this angers the leaders. And uh, to, to the point where they're even intending to put them all to death. But a man on the council named Gamaliel stands up and he sends the apostles out, and he speaks to the council, and this is what he says. Verse 35, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 100 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him, and he too perished. And all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan is an action of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. So Gamaliel stands up and he kind of gives them a history lesson of, of other small movements that tried to, to move away from Judaism. And he says that these were like clearly of man and they just, they didn't last. But if this is of God, we don't want to be the ones fighting against what God is doing on the earth. And, and, and so he makes this case for not killing them. Um, and, and then in 40, here's what they do. It says, they took this advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. That's a little bit better than being killed. And then, uh, and then they released them. And it says, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. So that's, uh, that's the whole story that we're looking at today. I wanna go back and uh, just point out some things that I noticed that I feel like the Lord has for us today. First, but just what an exciting story, right? Like there's signs and wonders and healings, miracles. Uh, there's uh, arrest, angelic jailbreak, a near-death trial. Like this is like, this is a movie. <laughs> this is the stuff that you want to see. Like I would watch that show. But I notice something really kind of big that is missing a who that is missing. It's the, the rest of the church, the rest of the believers. 
The apostles are taking great risk in their faith, but where's the church? And I think, I believe it actually tells us, way back at the beginning in verse 12 and 13, it says, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. None of the rest. The, I, I believe that's the church. I believe that's the other believers. They're, they're in the room, but they're not willing to identify with the apostles. In this translation, it says, none of the rest dared to associate with them. Other translations say, join them. And, and, and it seems to me like there um, is an opportunity for them to participate in what God is doing as the apostles are stepping out in great risk, and they decide not to. And as we read later in Acts, we see that like the, the signs and wonders are not just for the 12 apostles. Like we see multiple um, moments where, where people who are not the 12 are doing miracles. So it, it's not out of the question that any of these believers could have joined them, could have ministered alongside of them. Um, but what I think is happening here is that we're seeing um, the difference between the boldness of the apostles and the fear of the rest of the believers. We see that all the fruit that is to be had in this encounter comes at the hands of the apostles because they're the ones stepping out in risk. They're the ones stepping out in faith. And, and, and the rest of the believers are kind of just a footnote in the story. And, and, and I think that this is really, it's building a tension between the fear of man and the fear of God. I, and, I, and I want to start kind of this section by just saying I have not arrived at any, I think, full understanding of what it means to fear God. I, you know, this is a very biblical phrase. It's, it's all over the Old Testament. It's all over the New Testament. Um, but I, I, I want to just kind of share where I've come at this point. Like, like the fear of God, it, it sounds like this kind of like scary thing, like should we be afraid of God? But I, I think the fear of man, that is being afraid of others, being afraid of the world, being afraid of, of um, what others think or what others will do. But I, I think the fear of God, it's not necessarily a, like an actual like, I am afraid to approach God or I'm afraid of him. But I, I, I think it's more of a deep reverence, a deep respect, a, a, a deep honor for him. And, uh, and I, I was talking about this message with Van um, earlier this week, and, and he just shared a phenomenal quote. So if you're taking notes, make sure this Van S. Cochran next to this one. If you're watching online, try to guess what S means in the, co in the comments. He said, you will fear what you focus on. So the, the fear of man is the focus on the world. The fear of God is the focus on the kingdom. The, the, the fear of man is being concerned with what people think. The fear of God is being concerned with what God thinks. The fear of man says, what if God doesn't show up when I take a risk? What if God doesn't show up when I pray for my coworker? What if I ask for a word of knowledge and, I, and I'm totally wrong? And, and, and what if they're offended? In this story, what if we get arrested? But the fear of God thinks, what happens when the person is healed? What about 
when that word that I share with them is what they needed to hear? What about when they do accept Jesus? And it's all about focus. And in this story, we see the apostles focused on what God wants to do on the earth. And, and, um, and they're focused on the kingdom, where the other believers present in the story, I, I think, are probably focused on what could happen if things go wrong. I think that they are um, concerned with what the world is going to do. And I don't know that it's totally black and white. It was like, and every single believer that was there that wasn't one of the apostles, um, for the exact same reason, didn't want to join with them. I think it, just like in everything, I think there's some degree of, there's some levels here. Like I, I think there were probably some who were there at Solomon's portico, they're back against the wall, eye on the door saying, I wanna, I wanna see what happens, but as soon as the police show up, I'm out. Like these guys are gonna get arrested, I am not ready to be connected with them. And you know, maybe there are some that were a little bit closer up to the action and, and, and kind of in with the crowd and, and you know, they wanted to see everything that was happening and hear all the teaching, but you know, they were maybe thinking like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty new to this whole faith thing. I don't know, is, is Jesus really worth going to jail for or worse yet? And, um, and maybe there's some even closer that are right up there in the action and they're thinking, man, I really want to jump in there, but I don't, you know, I don't know if I, I haven't prayed for enough people yet. Or um, I, I don't know if, what if God doesn't actually show up when I, when I pray like the apostles do? And I think the crazy thing that happens in the story, they're, they're probably all concerned with what happens when things go sideways, what, what happens when uh, the, the priests get upset again and uh, their greatest fear comes true. They get arrested. They, they show up and, and they take them away. And I, I think that there were probably some of those believers who were present that felt justified in their fear. They probably thought, see, I told you, this is exactly what was gonna happen. We were gonna go here, they were gonna do the exact thing they just got arrested for in the exact same place, and look what happened, they got arrested again. Um, but I also think, there was probably some that were more on the edge that were like, man, I wish I was that bold. I wish I got arrested with them. I wish I was, I was in it. But in the story, though they get arrested, an angel of the Lord shows up and lets them out of jail. And here's what I think we can get from that. When our focus is on God, he honors our boldness. Like, these guys stepped out in faith and, and were, many signs and wonders were happening because of it. It, it, it makes me think of um, Robbie Dawkins, who's a friend of our church. He, he says, um, a lot of us say, God, give me power and I'll go. But God's saying, go and I'll give you power. Like they, they asked for the boldness or they asked for the signs and wonders. And then they paired the boldness that they received with that and actually stepped into this place of great risk. And I think because of that, God honored their risk and honored their faith. And, and even beyond that, he he let them out of jail in, in honor of their faith. He, I don't think God's going to leave his people hanging when we step out in, excuse me, in faith for him. So they go back and they immediately start preaching again and just all that just to get arrested again. And uh, 
It's crazy. It's, it's like the, the, the fear of the church happens all over again. And there, some of them are probably thinking, what, when are you going to learn? Like, stop preaching there. Let's go preach in the marketplace. Let's go, let's go, you know, door to door or whatever. But let's just like not go to where the priests are. Um, and then like even like death is on the table. Like they almost die for doing this. But instead they're, they're beaten and, and the, the fears of the people comes true. Like they, they were just punished for it. But to the apostles, this wasn't a bad thing. In verse uh, 41, after they've been flogged, it says they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer, suffer shame for his name. When we replace the fear of man with the fear of God, our greatest fears on earth become badges of honor in the kingdom of God. Like, worst possible scenario, they get beaten and told never do that again, and they leave happy. Because they have an eternal perspective. The fear of man is, is all about mortality. It's stay alive, survive, get through. The fear of God is an eternal perspective that there are more important things than safety. As Christians, our goal isn't to get out of life alive. Spoiler, we don't. It's not about getting through unscathed, unscratched, unscuffed, safe. Our goal is to make a dent in the kingdom of darkness in the name of King Jesus, no matter the cost. And here's the thing, the world right now is not longing for a church system that's gonna sit back and say, come to us. We have good music, we have good coffee, when there's not a pandemic. <laughs> They're looking for real. They're looking for authentic. Like, if the power of God is out there to be had, they want it. We need a church that's, that's activated in this, that's going after this, that steps out in great risk, no matter what the cost. We need a church that spells faith, R-I-S-K. A couple days ago, yeah, Friday night, one of our uh, leaders in student revival was hanging out with a couple of the high school guys, and they were, I think they were at Dairy Queen or something, but uh, they were eating their ice cream, and uh, our leader looks over and sees there's this table of eight people sitting there. And, uh, and he goes up to them and he just like interrupts them right in the middle of their ice cream. Um, I don't know about you, but I already feel anxiety about like interrupting somebody who's like doing something else. And, uh, and, and, he, and he stands there and he says, hey, does anybody have pain in your body? I wanna pray for you so that you'll be healed. And um, everybody at the table says no. <laughs> And so he goes back and he sits down. I, if he's anything like me, which I think he is, probably felt very embarrassed, probably like, wow, what just happened? Some of that fear of man creeping out. Um, but apparently after um, a little bit of time passed, two people came over to them and said, hey, we actually just lied to you. We do have pain. And uh, they showed them a spot. I, they had some kind of surgery recently and, uh, and they had a lot of pain from it. And, and he and our students prayed for him and the pain went totally away. That is faith, spelled R-I-S-K. 
So just to, to end, I just want to give you a few points on just ways to grow in boldness, way to, ways to grow in, in the fear of God and, and all that. I, I think the first thing, the first key, and I, I think this is key to everything in the Christian life, it's intimacy. It all starts with intimacy. Closeness with God is, is the key to everything. Like as you get closer to him, you can't help but focus on him. As you get closer to him, you can't help but become like him. Recently, I've been um, really trying to develop like a personal uh, life of worship outside of Sunday morning setting or outside of times when someone has a guitar, but really just like spending time in prayer and, and, and reading the Bible and, and all this stuff. But what I've found as I've done more and more of that, that a lot of times um, being closer to God, he's trying to make me not just someone who's closer to him, but someone who's a better husband and, and someone who's uh, a better father. Like there, there are many mornings where I'll get up and I'll brush my teeth and I'll kind of start my prayer and uh, God will like kind of speak to me and he'll say, hey, don't you dare open your Bible until you do the dishes for your wife. And, and like just intimacy with God, it's the key to every, as we get closer to him, we become more like him. We start to think more like him and, and it just makes us better in every area of our lives and in, including in our boldness. In, uh, in John uh, 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I think a lot of times we read this like a middle school dating relationship. You ever been there, like you're in eighth grade and you're walking down the hallway and your girlfriend looks at you like, if you love me, you'd hold my hand. Or like if you love me, you'd stay up till one in the morning, talk to me on the phone. That's not what Jesus isn't saying. If you love, if you love me, then you'd prove it by doing the things that I asked you to do. He's saying that, that if you love me, as you fall in love with Jesus, you won't be able to help but do what he's asked us to do. That as we get closer to him, we, we become more like him and we live the life that he has for us. And, and there, boldness is not an option in the Christian life. Risk is not an option. Like these are, this is what God has for us in life. Like Jesus says things like go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. That takes risk. He uh, just a few verses before John uh, 14, 15, he says, anyone who believes in me will do the same and greater works that I've done. Jesus did a lot of amazing things that took a lot of risk. The, the second thing, um, I think we need to grow in our identity. First thing's into me, second thing, identity. We need to get to know what God thinks about us and, and what he says about us. Because what we believe about us is how we'll live our lives. And God, he says and believes a lot of incredible things about you that are way better than the things that we say and believe about ourselves. I was taking my dog on a walk yesterday um, while I was finishing up this message, and um, I, he's this big 80-pound German shepherd. And he, he is so friendly, he, he's the best dog. Uh, little crazy around people, he loves giving hugs. So <laughs> being 80 pounds, it's, it, uh, a lot of people get knocked over uh, when they walk in the door. But his name's Pilot. He has no idea how big he is. Like he's this massive 80 pound dog, we're walking. He's met two dogs in his life that are bigger than him. Yesterday we're walking and across the street, there are three beagle puppies yapping at him through their 
gate. And he immediately cowers and starts to pull me in the other direction. It's like, Pilate, you could hold two of them down and eat the other one in like half a second. Like, stop embarrassing me in front of the neighbors. But I think sometimes, as the church, we don't realize how big we are because of what God has said about us. We don't always walk in the authority that God has given us because we forget who has said what about us. So we, we need to spend time in this book. There, there's so much good stuff that he says about you in here that will change your life. And, and when we come to know our identity, we're compelled to tell others what God thinks about them. And it's not that he's angry with them and, um, and you know, they're turn or burn. It's that he is so in love with you that he's drawing you into a relationship and he's got amazing things for you. The next thing I think we need to consider in growing in boldness is just our next steps. Um, you know, it's not about getting to our potential right away. You know, tomorrow you need to be everything that God has called you to be. It's about stepping into the next thing that he has for you. Um, you know, for some people, that might mean uh, when you leave here today and you go through, I almost said Chick-fil-A, but it's Sunday. When, when you go through the Burger King drive-thru, that you, uh, you offer to pray for your cashier. But maybe for some of you, it's that you sign up for School of Kingdom Ministry and you begin to get equipped in the power of God. And, 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 and it's all about just recognizing what does God have for me next? And then last is Time. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, but growth is spelled T-I-M-E. Sometimes it just takes time. In, in this story, um, I was a little bit hard on the church, but the truth is the apostles had a four or five year head start on the rest of the believers at this point. Like, they literally walked with Jesus for years. They, they, um, they had been equipped by Jesus himself. Like a lot of these people, some of the people that were there probably got saved two weeks ago when they healed the lame guy. Like they, they just need a little bit of time because what we actually see in a few chapters when persecution really starts to break out in the church, like people start to be killed and, and dragged from their homes and arrested and, and all this stuff. It says that the church is scattered, but in, in Acts 8, 4, it says, therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. They just needed a little bit of time to grow into it because when the real persecution breaks out, they step into their boldness and everywhere they go, they start preaching the word. So just to end, I, I, I just want to ask you to consider where are you today? What is your next step in, into risk in your faith? What's your next step into boldness? Because this world is longing for you to step into what God has for you. So let, let, let's pray really quick. And uh, if, if you're someone who just really wants to step into more boldness, would you just put your hand over your heart? Just boldness and whatever that looks for, looks like for you, whether it's, you know, praying for uh, your coworker or uh, even just leading your family in, in faith. Yeah, Holy Spirit, will you come? You just fill us with boldness today. Ignite our hearts with, with passion for your kingdom. Father, will you set our focus on you on the things of heaven, on the things you want to do on the earth. Just release us into a new season of bold risk takers. Amen.